right, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. You guys sound great. Of course, I'm so grateful for our next-gen choirs leading us this morning. And uh, just uh, what a, a powerful morning of worship it has, uh, it has been. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we want to continue in worship. Uh, so grab that and go with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as you're making your way uh, to John's gospel, I want to just remind you of a couple of things. The first is just a thank you. Many of you served on Friday nights for what is one of the greatest ministries of our church, and that is our special friends prom. And uh, many of you gave your time and energy to serve so many friends, and yes, we Baptists know how to dance. We got down, and it was so awesome, and I want to thank all of you. Between both of our campuses, we served about a thousand people, and it was just so much uh, uh, fun. It was also very special for the Bales family specifically because you need to be 14 years of age to participate in prom, and my daughter Libby turned 14 in October, and so I got to take her as her date to prom, and it was so much fun. You can see my prom queen on the right, and uh, she dances like her daddy. I'm telling you, she is a full-blown charismatic, and it is so much fun. <laughs> we had a great time, and uh, I want to thank Kathy Kowalczyk and Wendy Fink and so many of our staff for giving of their time and making uh, the weekend such an incredible success, and I also want to thank you as a church for embracing our special friends ministry. It is because of your generosity that we are able to serve so many families. And I am uh, just grateful for that as uh, your pastor, but I am humbled by that as a dad. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for giving of yourselves and of your generosity to help uh, advance that ministry that is so near and dear to the heart of our church. I also want to remind you, as Anthony did a moment ago, Easter is two weeks away. And so Good Friday services are baptism services. So if you or someone you know needs to be baptized because you have made a decision to follow Jesus but have never been baptized by immersion, I can think of no better time to celebrate that than Good Friday. So you can just contact us and let us know about uh, that decision and whoever that person is, whether that be you or someone in your family, because we would love to celebrate your baptism on Good Friday, and then at the North Campus, five Easter celebrations uh, on Easter weekend. So two on Saturday night, five and 6.30, and then three on Sunday morning. And please, if you call Prestonwood Church your home, consider attending one and serving one. We really need your help to be able to meet all of the needs. We need help from the parking lot to serving in children's ministry. We need greeters. Uh, uh, we need individuals to help usher. So we just have a great deal of need, and uh, I'm asking for you to prayerfully consider attending a service and serving another service. And the way in which you can register to volunteer is when we're dismissed right out in the atrium. You'll see some QR codes that are on stanchions kind of spread out around the atrium there. Take your phone, scan that QR code, and then there'll be a way for you to let us know of your willingness to volunteer and to serve. Easter is going to be so much fun, and I am so looking forward to celebrating the resurrection with all of you. As you just saw from the sermon bumper a moment ago, uh, we are still in the sermon series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. In fact, we're going to kind of hang out until Easter Sunday uh, in the upper room, which is where we've been the last several weeks, the kind of weightiness and heaviness of this upper room dialogue that Jesus is having with his disciples. You remember a few weeks ago when we talked in John chapter 13, Jesus said, the way in which people are going to know that you belong to me is based upon how you express your love for one another. 
another. And then Jesus showed us that, right? So he washed the disciples' feet, which is kind of an awkward thing. They didn't understand it. Jesus explained it. We talked about the necessity of servant leadership to mark a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I even went further to say that if leadership is, I mean, uh, if uh, serving is beneath you, leadership is above you, right? We understand the necessity as modeled by Jesus for servant leadership. But Jesus then spoke some hard truth. He spoke the truth in love. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And the one who dips his cup, uh, who dips his bread in the cup immediately following me. And Judas got up awkwardly from the dinner table and ran out of the room. And then Peter has this dialogue with Jesus where he's like, I'm never going to betray you. And Jesus is like, listen, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So it got really, really awkward. And then a couple of weeks ago, we said, but Jesus stepped into the awkward. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus prescribed a peace. And I would just say in this room this morning, there are some of you who are in the awkward, right? I don't know what your circumstance is, but you're in the awkward. Others of you are in the uh, very difficult. You're in the hard. And I would tell you that in the same way that Jesus stepped into that space on that day, he steps into your space right now. He is never far away. Jesus is as near as you can close your eyes and imagine him to be. He is right here at your side. And Jesus said, I'm promising you peace and I'm promising you a place. We talked about the place of uh, a, a preparation. That was Calvary's cross. Then the place of destination. That's heaven. That's what Jesus has secured through the work on Calvary's cross. And then Jesus said, but it only happens through my person. John 14, 6, Jesus speaks, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So despite what the culture at large is going to say, there are many ways to get to heaven. Jesus says the only way to have a right relationship with God and to experience the forgiveness of sin is through faith in me. And then he looked across the dinner table and had this kind of eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation with Philip. And he said, but listen... You've got to believe in me in order to experience that eternal life. And if you don't believe in me, at least believe on account of the works that I have shown you. You've got to trust in me. Every single person recognizes that we've got to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And today, what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to continue in this upper room dialogue. And listen, it's kind of a weighty atmosphere. There's kind of a heaviness in this upper room. And, and Jesus is going to talk to now to the disciples about the necessity and power that comes from Jesus being the object of their belief, from Jesus being the object of their faith. And, and Jesus is going to say, I am worthy of your faith. And you're going to see supernatural things take place when I am rooted in your faith. When I am the result of your faith, you're going to see great things take place because we know that faith is only as good as its object. And all of us have had moments in our life when we understand that the object of our faith matters. A couple of years ago when my son was in junior high, we were having a football game and uh, a friend of mine said, uh, we'll just sit on the sideline in folding chairs. And I was like, sounds great to me. So he said, I said, I haven't gone to academy. I need to get some folding chairs since we moved. And uh, any chance you got an extra one? He's like, sure, do. No problem. So I go to the game and my buddy, uh, who's an outdoor enthusiast, he's just one of those guys who's kind of figured it all out, you know. And so he has one of those folding chairs that has hydraulics on the legs and it rocks. Have you ever seen that? It's crazy. I mean, like this thing is like a transformer, right? And it rocks and it would hold an elephant. And I said, well, dude, do you got an extra one? He's like, yeah, I, I got an extra folding chair. And he pulls out what looks like an umbrella. <laughs> well, I'm a big man. 
And he's like, and it made like this. Okay, come on, bro. Like, is that supposed to hold me up? I was like, I need the rocking chair with the hydraulics and the small man that waves his fan next to you. I don't know. I, I want that chair like you got. Jesus is going to say, I'm worthy to be the object of your faith. You can trust in me. And in verses 12 through 14, Jesus now speaks about the necessity of faith rooted or founded in him. In fact, famously, if you've never connected the dots, this is what Leonardo da Vinci uh, recorded as the Last Supper. So you've probably seen this painting through art history. That's this moment. That's this upper room encounter. And this is da Vinci's best uh, 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 interpretation of what that potentially might have been. But Jesus stepped in to that moment. And, and when Jesus talks about the necessity of faith rooted in him and the subsequent power that comes as a result of that, he does so prior to a long teaching, an introduction into the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. But it's founded first through the faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, let's read together. We'll start in verse 12. We're only going to read three verses together today. John 12, uh, John 14, starting in verse number 12. If you're there, say, I got it. it. Jesus speaks. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, sometimes when we do our Bible study together, I like to read from a second translation just because I think it can help us add a more fuller and complete understanding so that we make sure we get our best uh, idea about what it is that Jesus is communicating in the whole. So I just want to do that this morning. You can follow along in your translation, but I'm going to read to us just these three verses from the New Living Translation. We'll keep teaching out of the ESV. So let me just read these to you again. John 14, 12 through 14, Jesus speaks. And he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, if you're a note taker today, I'm going to share with you what I believe are the two ways that Jesus describes the power of faith founded in him. Now, This is not an exhaustive list of all of the ways we see faith evidenced by power through being found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. These are just the two ways Jesus describes it in this upper room dialogue right here in John 14, 12 through 14. And Jesus says specifically there's a couple of ways where you're going to experience power by finding your faith in me. So if you're a note taker, you want to write this down. The first is faith in practice. Jesus talks about faith in practice. This is huge. I love it because Jesus says those who believe in him or those who have faith in him will do the things that he did. In other words, it should never be said of someone who claims a genuine faith in Christ that they don't have also a genuine desires for the things that he does. Again, I'll show it to you in the text. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, that's the idea of faith, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. In other words, it's incompatible to say, I love Jesus, but I don't love what Jesus loves. 
Because Jesus says very clearly, if you believe in me, you're going to do the same works I did, or you'll care about the same things I do. I'm going to break this down even further. First of all, I would say, so to have faith in Jesus or to believe in Jesus is to look like Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to look like Jesus. This is to bring legitimacy to the very popular wrist uh, bands or the bracelets that say WWJD, right? This is the idea that it's all-encompassing. So I would just say this. If it matters to Jesus, then watch this, fam. It should matter to us. That's where you can say amen. If it matters to Jesus, it should matter to us. Amen. Amen. It should. And Jesus models what it looks like for us to care about the things that he does. Which is why I started off the morning today thanking the many volunteers and you as a church body at large for elevating a ministry as significant as our special friends ministry or disability ministry here within our church. I'll just give you one example. Um, A Friday night, one of our uh, staff members, Parker Jones, who is our adult ministry associate, just a great guy, I love Parker, and his wife Kayla, uh, Parker was assigned uh, to be a buddy with uh, two young adults and uh, a relatively low-functioning uh, guys and uh, having a great time. And when we had dinner, it was uh, uh, catered by Raisin Canes. And uh, our two friends uh, were enjoying their Raisin Canes greatly. And do you know how they, we know that they were enjoying it? Because they were wearing it. That's the same way we know you're enjoying your Raisin Canes, right? Is because they were wearing it. And, uh, and Parker, I noticed... Uh, unprompted, saw that our friends were kind of uh, getting a little messy and uh, that they had sauce everywhere. And, and so he just took it upon himself to get up from the table casually, calmly, tenderly, and he just cleaned up their face. And then he began to pinch off their chicken into smaller, more manageable bites, and he just kindly fed them. Now, if you want to know what that said to me, that's Jesus, right? If it matters... To Jesus, it should matter to us. And what I saw in the gymnasium that night in our SMB was Parker being Jesus. He isn't Jesus. He's not perfect. He would tell you that. But I got to watch him looking like Jesus. And if you want to know whether or not Jesus cares about individuals with disabilities, then today take some time, write this in your margin, and go read John chapter, I mean, uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, because Jesus speaks and he says, when you have a feast or a banquet. By the way, did you know individuals within the disability community, we never get feasts. Banquets are the last thing that are on our mind. We're just trying to figure out how we're going to make it through that day. Okay? And Jesus says, when you give a feast or when you give a banquet, you go out to the highways and you go out to the alleys and you invite the crippled and the poor and the lame and the blind. That is first century language for individuals with disabilities and special needs. And he said, bring them in. Why? Because I want my dad's house to be full. And so we know that Jesus cared about all people, ability or disability alike. And when we wipe the drool and clean up the face and tear the chicken strips, we are looking like Jesus. And if it mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us. And so that is faith in practice. The second thing I would say is to believe in Jesus is to be empowered like Jesus. Do you remember, uh, I said a moment ago, this conversation that Jesus is having is just prior to his introduction into the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, which is going to be so necessary for the church. But when Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to do greater works than he, he doesn't mean that they're going to do works that are more miraculous. 
Think about what Jesus has already done, right? He's already raised Lazarus from the dead. He's already walked on water. He's already fed 5,000. He's already given sight to the blind. He's already made the lame walk, right? Jesus has done quite a few uh, miracles for the purposes of validating his authority as God. He doesn't mean that the disciples and subsequently the church are going to do more miraculous things. He means that they're going to have a broader impact. And we know that he's talking about not only the disciples, but the birth and the work and the advancement of the church, which is indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, which comes after Jesus says, I'm going to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, he's going to send the Spirit to live within you. And through the supernatural gift and power of God's Holy Spirit, which, by the way, not only fueled the life and ministry of Jesus, but is what raised Jesus from the dead, now indwells within you and me, then I would just say to you, if God is in it, family, it will not fail. Because it's empowered by the same Holy Spirit that fueled the life and ministry of Christ. And so I'm always trying to get us as a church to recognize we are limitless with what God might choose to do through us, not because we are infinite, but because we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's no end to what God might choose to do through you and through me. When I think about the ministry of the North Campus of Prestonwood Baptist Church, I can't help but get giddy with excitement thinking about what God might do through you and I that are fueled and filled with his Holy Spirit. That right here in our backyard, through our church, dream with me, we might be able to eradicate the foster care crisis that plagues us all around us. Just by men and women filled with the Holy Spirit of God, choosing to put their yes on the table and say, I'm willing to go all in for Jesus. We might be able not only to do that, we might be able to plant hundreds of churches right here in North Texas, all across North America and around the world. Through my friend Carter Morris and the Master Cares Ministry in Uganda, we could eradicate through the North Campus of our church the villages, the hundreds of villages that have no access to clean drinking water. We could do that. Not because we're awesome, but because we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God who is. And so it's limitless. And so to put our faith in practice is to look like Jesus and to be empowered like Jesus, which is to be filled with his Holy Spirit, which Jesus says, by the way, is going to come because I'm going to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, then we know he's subsequently about to introduce that the Spirit then is going to come and he's going to indwell his church. And so... I'm just overwhelmed when I think about what it might be for us to be a people who recognize this faith in practice as fueled by the ministry of God. Let's look again at our text because beyond seeing the power of our faith in Jesus showing up as our faith in practice, we now see the power of faith in Jesus will evidence itself through our faith in prayer. Through our faith in prayer. Here's where we're going to conclude our time today. This is important because I just think if we're not paying attention, and and by the way, this isn't... Um, sometimes been misunderstood and therefore misapplied. So if we don't pay attention here in John 14, 12 through 14, it'd be super easy to skip over this because it's kind of awkward and, and difficult for us to understand. But if we don't pay attention to what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is not saying, we run the risk of growing discouraged in our prayers or discouraging others as well. So let's read it again, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There are two places where Jesus talks about this 
uh, kind of all-encompassing idea of, of anything. And so I want you to underline that word whatever in verse 13 and underline that word anything in verse 14. Because we need to ask and answer the question, what does whatever or what does anything mean here? Well, I will tell you two things. The first is that Jesus is talking about a, a faith in prayer first evidencing itself by a prayer of alignment. A prayer of alignment. And I'm going to show you this in the text. So we have to understand the first idea of alignment is Jesus aligning himself with God the Father. In John chapter 14, remember I told you that Jesus had that eyeball conversation with Philip just a few moments ago? And when Jesus was having that eyeball conversation, looking across the table at Philip, he said, Philip, you think you haven't seen the Father, but if you've seen the Father, you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because there is an alignment there. And so the first understanding of our aligning with Jesus is a recognition that Jesus is aligned with the Father. Look again at verses 8 through 11 of this same chapter. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. Now how can you say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And, and so Jesus is speaking clearly about the idea of his alignment with God the Father. So for us to pray and ask for whatever or ask for anything, we have to know we're aligning ourselves with Jesus who has aligned himself with the Father. So whatever in verse 13, anything in verse 14 is not carte blanche for our prayer requests. It's not. It's not carte blanche. Whatever and anything are only the things that would align with the character of Jesus the Son, which aligns with the character of God the Father. And so that's how we know what it is that we can and should be praying, our faith in prayer. So let me see if I can give a silly example. Imagine thinking or teaching the idea that you can go get a lottery ticket and as you're using your coin to scratch off that face, as long as you say, help me to win in Jesus' name, then all of a sudden you're good, right? That's not how that works. That's not exactly, it's not at all how that works. So I, I would tell you, uh, uh, faith in prayer with alignment is is asking for the things we think uh, God uh, is glorified when we request that align themselves with the nature and the character of God the Father as evidenced when we read the Gospels through the life of God the Son. So, for example, it's, it's easy and good and right for us to pray for healing. That's a good thing. For us to pray for understanding, that's a good thing. For us to pray for wisdom, as James says, that's a right thing, so that we might align ourselves with Jesus, who has clearly aligned himself with God. And, and so just a silly example, I think I've told you guys before that uh, cold and flu always makes us nervous. And so just a few nights ago, Hannah started having a little bit of a runny nose and started uh, coughing a little bit. And I can remember laying in bed. It wasn't bad, but I never want it to get bad. And so I can remember laying in bed, and I can hear her sniff. And my girls don't know how to blow their nose or clear their throat, so it's just always a little bit of a worry that it's going to end up in their chest. And so I can remember laying there in bed as I can hear her kind of coughing, and I'm praying, God, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you that you would dry up her nose. 
And you think, well, that seems silly. Like, what a wasted prayer. But I'm, I'm going to ask it because God says that we should call for healing. And, and Jesus did. Over and over and over in the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus prayed for people to be healed. He laid his hands on them, and he provided for people to be healed. And so why wouldn't we want to ask for the things that Jesus did? Because we want to pray in line with the character of God, which is evidenced in the character of Christ. We align ourselves with Jesus, who has aligned himself with God. And by the way, if you want a biblical example of how this worked, just keep reading. Because in just a few hours, when Jesus gets into Gethsemane's garden, he's taken a couple of his closest friends with him. They actually fall asleep in prayer. And Jesus then talks to God the Father and he says, hey, if there's any other way for this work to be done, let this cup pass from me. Now that word cup, it's the uh, ancient way of describing the wrath of God. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if there's any other means for the wrath uh, that, that demands for sins to be paid for, if there's any other way that that can take place, let that be, yet not my will but yours be done. Jesus modeled this for us. And so we might be a people who put our faith in practice by having faith in prayer and it evidences itself through our alignment with Christ. Again, it's, it's possible because as Jesus mentioned a moment ago, we're going to do greater works. The church is going to do greater works. And, and the way in which that happens is because Jesus goes to the Father and he sends the Spirit to indwell those who belong to him. So when you don't even know what to pray, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will pray for you. The second thing I would say is not only is our faith in prayer for alignment, but it's a prayer for the objective of Jesus. It's a prayer for the objective of Jesus. Now, this speaks to Jesus' aim, his aim, his objective in granting our requests, which is the glory of the Father, God, through the Son, Jesus. Again, look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, there's that word, whatever, this I will do. Why? that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, church family, the aim or objective of Jesus in answering the prayers of those who belong to him is to bring glory to the Father. And so, if that's the objective, then we ought to align our petition, our request, in such a way that it makes it easy for him to say yes. We ought to pray in such a way that we desire likewise the glory of God. In whatever it is we are asking for Jesus to do so that we can make it easy for him to say yes. Um, on occasion, when Mary and I are coming home at night with our kids, our family, uh, we will begin about the time we pull into the neighborhoods to start outlining the expectations for the evening as we get home, especially let's say it's a late night, right? So say we've been out late and we've had an activity and everybody's kind of pooped out. And so well, by the time we start turning in off of First Street into our neighborhood, uh, then we'll start outlining the objectives for the evening. Something like, hey, as soon as we get home, let's get the girls unloaded, let's get backpacks unloaded, I want everybody to get a shower, let's get on our pajamas, and let's make sure we go to bed early because tomorrow is going to be a really, really busy day. So we're clearly stating the objectives. Now, my two kids that are still at home, other than Libby and Hannah, are 16 and 9, so the times for early in bed might be different between the two, but it's the same objective for both, right? And so their mom will begin us outlining the Objectives. Mary will start outlining what the expectations are when we get home. Now, over and over, she'll start repeating this. And in case their eyes, perhaps, like my teenage boy, I'm not saying this ever happened, but if his eyes are glued to his phone and he, all he's doing is grunting in response to his mom, I might elevate that request vocally. 
Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, I'm just making sure we're on the same page. So I, I might elevate that request. So by the time we pull up the driveway, we hit the button on the garage door, and we've pulled into the garage, the doors swing open. Everybody should understand what the expectation is when we get home. Now imagine, now again, this has never happened, but I'm just saying, help, hypothetically think out loud. Imagine if when we get home, say that nine-year-old little girl comes up and says, hey, can I stay up late tonight? Woo! I'll go Ric Flair on you right now. <laughs> because we just outlined the objective, right? The aim is to go to bed early. We have a huge day tomorrow. Get your shower, get your PJs on. We're going to bed, right? And then to immediately then ask, hey, so can I, is it cool if I stay up? Woo. I, I think we do the same thing with God in prayer. Like, amen or ouch. If the objective and aim of Jesus is the glory of God the Father, how many times are we petitioning for things that would not bring God glory, but instead might be something so much less that we think would make us happy? So, so then you might want to ask yourself, so naturally, okay, how do I pray like that? How do I pray in such a way that it makes it easy for Jesus to say yes? How do I pray personally? with my family and our circumstances and this crisis in such a way that it brings God glory because I think we do want that. But I also am asking for Jesus to say yes. In John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Jesus speaks and he says, the confidence that we have toward him is that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so, fam, what does it mean to pray the will of God? Well, I'm going to give you j just a few examples. I would say this. It's praying the scriptures. What does it mean to pray the will of God? It's praying the word of God. It's praying the word of God. So, again, if you're a note taker and you want to grow in this discipline, here's a few examples. The first is we pray for our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. We pray for our enemies. You want to pray the will of God? Pray the word of God. We pray for God to send missionaries. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. The fields are white unto harvest, but the harvest is plentiful and the labor, labors are few. So pray that God will send laborers into the harvest. Pray for missionaries. Number three, we pray against temptation. Jesus says, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we pray against temptation temptation. Number four, we pray for pastors and ministers. Colossians chapter four, verse three. We pray for the leadership of the church and those who have given their lives to the ministry found within it. Number five, we pray for government authorities. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through three. Yes, we pray for the leadership of our government that God has established, that God would give them courage and wisdom to know what it looks like to govern well. Number six, we pray for healing. James chapter five, verse 16, that God might heal, whether that is the sniffles or whether that is a critical diagnosis. Number six, um, number seven, for our motivations, Matthew chapter six, verses five and six. You remember when Jesus said, uh, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who speak so that others will hear. But rather, go in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So we pray for our motivations, like, God, what is motivating me to ask this request? Is it for my good and my glory? Is it for yours? Because you're aligned with the Father, and I want to align with you, and I want God's glory if that's what you're after. But I'm also asking that you would provide for this. Uh, number eight, we pray for forgiveness. Both forgiveness that is uh, necessary to be given and the forgiveness that is necessary to be received. This is Mark chapter 11, verse 25. We pray and ask for forgiveness. We pray that God would give us a heart of forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32, be tenderhearted and kind, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Number nine, we pray with thanksgiving, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. We pray with thanksgiving, God, thank you for another day. God, thank you for this uh, a family that you have given to me, the spouse that you have blessed me with, the children, the grandchildren, the church, the community, this home, this job. God, thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for another day to give you glory. God, thank you. Number 10, we pray with persistence. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. The Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. This is the idea that we would be persistent in praying and asking God. Again, if you don't want to know what it means to align your will with Jesus, then pray persistently that God would show you what that means. And number 11, we pray in the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Know this, family that when you are so exhausted and beat up from whatever circumstance you're finding yourself having to endure and you don't know how to talk to God, then just trust, if you'll be honest with him about that, that the Holy Spirit that lives within you is talking to him on your behalf. The Bible says specifically in Romans 8 that he's praying with groaning that is too deep for words. In other words, it's beyond our understanding anyway. He's speaking in a divine language, but he's speaking for you. And so every week when we get to this part of the message, I always ask you, what are we going to do with Jesus? But I think today I want to tweak that a little bit. And I want to ask you if you'd be willing just to trust me for another minute more. This is going to make some of you very uncomfortable, and that's not my aim or desire, but I'm asking you as your pastor that you would trust me just for the next moment or two. And would you close your eyes? You don't have to bow your head if you don't want to. Just close your eyes. But if we're going to be a people that live with faith in practice, we look like Jesus, we're empowered by Jesus. And if we're going to be a people that exercise faith in prayer, both in our alignment and with the objective, then I want us to be a people who ask anything. Would you be willing today to ask God for your whatever, for your anything? And, and if you personally haven't shared with me your anything, then I don't know what it is you're having to navigate. You find yourself on this day fighting to endure. But God does. He knows your anything. He knows your whatever. If your marriage is in trouble, God knows that's your anything. If you just got a terrible diagnosis, then God knows that's your anything. If you have a child who is far from God, or if your mind wanders and betrays you more times than not, God knows that's your anything. 
if you are fighting discouragement because of a financial stress or a relational conflict, God knows that's your anything. If you are battling bitterness because of unforgiveness, that which you need to extend or that which you are begging for God to help you to receive, he knows that's your anything. But I'm asking you today, if you trust me, knowing that I don't know your anything, but God does, I want to pray for your anything. So with everybody's eyes still closed, I'm asking you, if you have an anything in your life right now, whatever you ask in my name, if you ask anything in my name, if you have a whatever, if you have an anything, would you hold your hand up high so I can pray for you? Keep your hand up, please, just for a moment. Everybody's eyes are closed but mine, so this is just me and you. And if you have a whatever, if you have an anything, all over this room, if you hold your hand up, I'm going to pray for you now. Some of you are wiping tears with the other one. Some of you have both hands up high. Let me pray for your anything, and let's ask God for your whatever, because he knows, so I don't have to. Father, in Jesus' name, today, these hands that are held high are giving to you their anything. And so we want to pray your word to you, that whatever we ask God in your name, you're going to do that the Father may be glorified in you, His Son. And so I am begging you, Lord Jesus, because we're asking for our anything. And we're asking in your name that you will do it, that you will help align our hearts to yours as yours is aligned with the Father that you would help us to look like you look because we're filled with your spirit. God, for every hand in this room and all those that are not, I'm praying that you would provide their anything. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that you would pour out a supernatural provision, that you would grant immeasurable understanding, that if your yes is different than our ask, you would give us a heart of trust to believe that whatever it is you are going to provide is what's best. God, we trust you. That's what we say, we trust you. Everything over our head, Lord Jesus, rests beneath your feet. And so for all of the anythings that are represented in this room, this day, in Jesus' name, I pray that you answer them. In Jesus' name, I pray that you provide for them. And we will be quick to give you the honor and the credit and the glory that you alone are due. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And we pray these things in the name above every name. In Jesus' name, amen.